Black lives matter. Black lives matter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Trying to live my life, putting purpose over profit. Too many fallen soldiers, too many slain prophets. Eyes on the prize, yeah, I gotta watch it. Agents amongst us, get your hand out my pocket. I'm sick with the pet. Brothers and sisters are sick in the pet. Oppressed by the man, attacked by the clan. America's plan, depression sets in. People becoming so hopeless. Said we can't breathe, they still choke us. They put the body cam on, it's either turn off or out of focus. Yeah, another death, another life. They pull the trigger, no thinking twice. Cops be wildin', the killing youth. The new Jim Crow, a different noose. It's the beast, it's the beast, mark of the beast. Cease and desist, increase the peace. Move in silence, don't make a sound. But when they come, stand your ground. R.I.P. to all the martyrs. Say your prayer, Heavenly Father. Black lives matter, black lives matter. Bars, once again, we are back with another live episode of The Creative Gourd with, unfortunately, more recent news about what's going on with the injustice in America. And Professor Yisrael is charged up at the moment. Professor Yisrael, do you want to disclose a little bit about your presentations today? Yes, sir. So a couple of things. First and foremost, good to see you, good brother. Likewise. Um, It's unfortunate that the song that we play at the beginning of our broadcast the lyrics can't, they just don't go out of style. They just don't, it just, unfortunately, you know, the lyrics still ring true mm. and it's, it's, it's an atrocity. Um, it's, it's, it's tragic. Um, and I, I hope that things change. I say hope because I'm not optimistic. Right. Um, history has told me not to be optimistic. Um, the present situation that we're in has told me not to be optimistic, um, but my faith, um, I remain hopeful. I remain faithful and prayerful um, that things will be different and things will get better. But I am not optimistic, um, particularly not now during mm. these times. Um, I did two presentations today. Um, one was about critical consciousness and um, exploring what that means and how to develop a conscious community, create a conscious community. Um, and we had a number of different conversations talking about what what it means to really understand someone, know someone, what it means to know ourselves, what it means to trust someone, why we trust people. We talked about unconscious bias. We talked about, um, which is also known as uh, implicit bias. Uh-huh. We talked about explicit bias, which is also known as conscious bias. Hmm. Um, and we talked about a number of different things, racial stress, racism, race, covert racism, overt racism, um, institutional oppression, a number of different things. Um, we had some good conversations. And my second presentation was about equity, justice, and engagement. And what does equity mean? Um, how does equity differ from equality? Um, what does justice mean? Um, I think we have far too many examples of what injustice is, or what injustice looks like. Um, but really talking about what does justice mean, um, not only in the school environment, um, not only in the world, um, but specifically um, in our personal lives. Um, you know, how we conduct our own business, whether it's inside our households with our families, our loved ones, uh, whether it's in our business workings um, or dealings, uh, what does justice look like? What does it mean to be equitable and just? And the other piece 
engagement, what does it mean to be involved? What does it mean to show up? I know there's a there's a great group called um, From Privilege to Progress, mm. um, and they were founded um, after they recorded a video of um, the situation that happened a few years back in Starbucks uh, when the young men were there waiting for a business meeting and the cops were calling them because one of them wanted to use restroom. They were sitting here waiting for a, a business meeting. They didn't buy anything, et cetera, so they were a threat, right? And all that situation, how that went viral. So that's pretty much was launched from there. Um, so from Privilege to Progress, one of the things that they always say, their hashtag is show up, hashtag show up. Um, so engagement really means showing up. How, how, how do you show up? How do you get involved? How do you remain active? Realizing that this situation doesn't change or has not been changing, realizing that, in fact, there's even more situations happening, which reminds me of how a whole nation and in many aspects of the globe can see exactly the unrest um, the, unjust, the injustice and inequality and inequities um, in the United States of America, yet these things still happen um, in broad daylight. In broad daylight, folks know someone's going to break out a camera phone, but these things still happen. They may not wear body cams, but other people are cap- catching it on, on footage. Um, but it seems like it doesn't matter. Right. It seems like, again, Black lives do not matter. Um. And the thing that bothers me is that we always get into this conversation of, well, what happened? Was it justified? Was it, was, no, no. There's a number of different things that we need to talk about. A lot of times we always get to these individual moments or these individual instances. I'm interested in also talking about how did we get to that moment to begin with? And a lot of times it's because of the institutions that have been put in place and the prejudice that people have and the outright racism bigotry, vitriol that folks have that allows them to dehumanize and devalue the life of another. So much so that you think you're playing Halo Mm. or Fortnite and just emptying rounds in front of someone's child, or should I say children. And then they wonder why we scream. They wonder why we say Black Lives Matter. They wonder why we say enough is enough. They wonder why they say, I can't breathe. They wonder why folks are angry. Folks wonder why. So the presentations that I had today was really just shedding a light on this moment that we're in. Um, There was an awakening. But every time we see an awakening, and I know I've talked about this in other spaces before, and everyone's always talked about this. Whenever there's an awakening, or whenever it seems like the marginalized voices start to get lifted up, whenever it seems like those who are the least protected are starting to fight back, there often is a white lash or a white backlash where folks are like, nope, you're trying to get out of your lane. You're starting to think that you're equal. You're starting to think you're a human being. You're starting to think that your life matters. You're starting to take yourself seriously and those who look like you. We need to put an end to that. So we have to actually be honest with ourselves and think about what's happening right now. Think about all the things that's happening right now. We're in the middle of a pandemic. And others would say we're in the middle of two pandemics because if you think about a pandemic that's been happening for a very long time, mm. such as racism, systemic oppression, uh, inequities and inequality. Um, I put it to you this way. And one of the pres- actually in both of the presentations today, I said, imagine for the particularly those folks who are not familiar with what it feels like to be marginalized or oppressed. Um, I said, imagine if we were living with COVID-19 or if COVID-19 had been in existence for the past 400 plus years. 
imagine. Mm. And even that still pales into comparison to what folks in this country, in this world, in a lot of different spaces too, have been dealing with because of their life not mattering to those who are in power, their life not mattering in some cases to themselves because of the internalized oppression that we have, which is given to us because of institutional oppression, racism, etc. So when we think about all these pieces, it's deep, deep, deep. But you got to be a cold-hearted mother. You know what? If you can sit here and think that what happened to Jacob Blake, mm. what happened to Jacob Blake was justified, warranted in any way, shape, or form. There's a special place in hell for you. That is, that is just my opinion. It is a special place in hell for you. If you can't see that person's humanity, if you can't see that that was ridiculous, if you can't see that there was no need for any type of force, let alone deadly force, trying to kill this man, it's, it's I don't know. One of the things that I often I also lifted up in the presentation today, I said, listen, because I, again, I, I work in education, and I said, what type of curriculum, what type of program can we design as educators that will ensure that these type of situations and events do not happen again, that they stop? Are we just going to have to wait for a bunch of people of a certain generation to pass on? Mm. Is that possible when they're probably passing on their thoughts, their feelings, their beliefs, their ideologies to their progeny, their offspring? Like, how, what, what can we do to combat this? It doesn't matter what we do. And the things that really, really disgust me is you look at a situation such as Breonna Taylor, right? You look at a situation such as Jacob Blake. You look at these situations. No matter what you do or don't do, someone's always going to say that the person who was killed or severely injured was at fault when it comes to police shootings of unarmed black people. There is no way that we can operate in self-defense. There is no way that we can actually be law-abiding citizens such as having a licensed carry um, a, a, a firearm in our homes to defend our homes because we don't know who's intruding. And then all of a sudden, oh, but he, he, he shot at us. That's attempted murder. Really? So again, it just goes to show that the rules are not for everyone, which makes sense because, you know, they're never meant to be that way. I often say that the system is not broken. It's actually fixed. Mm. It's a fixed system. Yes. It's by design. Yes. So when we keep talking about reform, no, we have to have a full-on revolution. And we started to see it. We started to see it. And then... You have folks who are just trying to agitate in different directions, try to, you know, make sure that noise gets crushed to a, a mere whisper. Um, when hashtag activism backfires because now say her name or arrest the killers of Breonna Taylor are created into memes that don't really do much of anything, mm -hmm. but make the person who's posting it feel better. Right. There's a lot of things that we need to wrestle with and think about. And, you know, it's, it's the, the space that we're in, the space that we're in. It's going to get worse before it can get better. We know that. Um, but I'm hoping that people's hearts are really starting to change. I have some hope. I have some hope. Um, but the evidence out there is 
pretty damning. It's true. And thank you for sharing that with us, Professor Israel. And just to reiterate on your points, especially your main point of being hopeful, right? But as Aquarians, I feel like we're incredibly realistic. And just based upon the pattern recognition alone, I mean, it, it would seem to be naive to be hopeful, unfortunately, at this time. And what you were saying about how certain things don't necessarily apply to us. And I'm thinking like, yeah, you start to think that the Declaration of Independence applies to you. No, it doesn't. Right. But yes, we will take your tax money. Right. And commit white collar crimes and not pay any tax. But yeah, it doesn't apply to you. You know, things like that. So when I'm thinking about and you, you use a great word justice. So what does justice actually look like? Right. Because we see this all the time where I feel like around the world is, is black people specifically who are from, from my perspective, the only people who are blamed for being murdered. Like, I, I don't even understand how that happens. Even if, so people say, Oh, they shouldn't have, you know, run from the police or you should have followed what the police said. Well, we already have video evidence of that happening and the same result still happened. Do you have the same energy then? Right. So there's a lot of uh, cognitive, cognitive dissonance there. And I keep thinking about the whole, you know, philosophy of uh, when the looting starts, excuse me, when the looting starts, the shooting starts, right? But my whole, my whole philosophy is, would there be looting without any shooting from the police? And the answer is always no, right? And in American history in general, right, or any other revolution around the world, Looting and revolutions only occur after injustices occur with zero accountability, right? So it's essentially sanctioned atrocities, as you said, that are protected by red tape. Oh, there's only so much we can do. It's going to take time. You know, we're, we're committed to healing. We're committed to growing all the other, you know, BS, the runaround, right? Because, again, I, I, I work for the Marriott. I understand hospitality. I understand the runaround. I understand it's the same thing like at a restaurant. Oh, it's going to be a 30 to 45 minute wait when really it could be 15 minutes or it could be 90 minutes. But you're just giving yourself that space to essentially do a, a little show here, a little dish and dash. And then, you know, maybe they'll forget or maybe they'll move on to someplace else. And that's what it seems like America is doing at this time. Right. And then Absolutely. I and then I always wondered, you know, what would happen if I feel like it's a natural uh, result for us, right? What would happen if a white person would do this? And it just so happens that the Kenosha Police Department in Wisconsin actually had a similar instance of someone resisting arrest who was Caucasian. And I just wanted to play the clip for everyone who may, mm. may have may not have seen it. Dude, get on the ground.
He's gonna kill himself. Now, if folks were unaware of what the definition of white privilege is. Damn. That's a show and tell class right there. Right. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? And <laughs> to, to quote Paul Mooney, <laughs> he said, this person, when he talks about these white folks out here, right, mm-hmm. have the complexion for mm. the protection for the collection. Mm-hmm. Like, what is going on? So what baffles me also when we talk about this whole revolution thing and how folks hate when marginalized, oppressed people revolt. Um, Frederick Douglass talked about this in his speech, what uh, to the slave is the 4th of July. And he so eloquently suggests to the folks who are listening, your nation Notice how he said your nation because he was a part of it, particularly as a slave, right? Um, Your nation was founded on revolution. Your nation was because you were tired of the tyranny you felt from the British. Mm. Your nation was founded because you believed that you wanted to be liberated from the oppression that you were facing, right? So you, 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 you set out to do your Declaration of Independence. You had the American Revolution. You fought for your freedom, right? And then now, when folks in this country that's supposed to be a place that offers everyone life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, where all men are created equal, mm. you get upset when people treat you, America, the same way you treated the British. Mm. You literally laid the blueprint for revolution and told us why you were doing it. And we stand in agreement why you did it. So when your own citizens rise up against you the same way you rose up against the folks who once had you under control, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm always baffled as to why folks are surprised or why there's such pushback, particularly if we're about being America the brave and you know, home of the free, land of the free. Some folks are like, you know what? I'm going to take my freedom the same way you taught us to take freedom. In history uh, class. <laughs> so it, it always baffles me, but talk about white privilege. Mm. My goodness, white privilege is talking back to an officer and making it home to share your story. White privilege is not following orders and being justified in your anger because the police person was out of control. That's white privilege. That clip, ridiculous. But it happens all the time, all the time. And it's not just in Kenosha. It happens in other places too. We see it all the time. I see people talk back to the cops. I'm like, what? What playbook are you following? Yeah. What rules were you taught? It's ridiculous. It's a different set of rules for people who look like me and you. It's a different set of rules. 
Absolutely. And it's, again, we talk about it all the time. It's just so blatantly obvious. And I have to shout out one of the, you know, U.S. candidates, Jamal Bowman, with his comments of what he said. So I'm going to put it up on the screen for everyone. Three boys just saw their father shot seven times in the back by police. No gun, no struggle. And we saw another Caucasian gentleman struggling and actually ran at the officer who didn't want to shoot him, which is why the officer ran away. So that's amazing context right there. He was just walking away, praying for Jacob Blake to make a speedy and full recovery. And unfortunately, we heard today that he was paralyzed from the waist down permanently which is, again, outrageous. The issue is systematic, as Professor Israel has been articulating. The Senate needs to respond boldly humane and humanely. This is why we scream Black Lives Matter. And one of his captions is, it's no co coincidence that some of the most racist and violent policing practices take place in America's most de-industrialized and de-invested communities. Black people are more likely to be killed by police go to jail, stay in jail, and live in poverty within a corrupt capitalist system. Time to end that system. So, Professor Yisrael, what do you think is the best first course of action to dismantle this system? First and foremost, let me point out that a lot of times folks are always like, but what about Chicago? Look what's happening in Chicago. Look what's happening in Chicago. If, if folks have been paying attention, this stuff has been popping off in the Midwest and not just Chicago. Mm. And these places, so-called flyover states, right? Such as Minnesota, mm -hmm. right? So George Floyd situation went down where he was murdered. His lynching, right? We talk about Wisconsin. Right. You think about the Midwest, a lot of people might call it the, the Northern South. Huh. Instead of Midwest, it's the Northern South for a number of different reasons when you start to talk about racism and what overt racism is and covert racism, et cetera. Um, so we're, we're seeing these things happen in these places and it happens across the, the whole country. Um, I think the same way that racism and oppression and injustice is systemic, we need a systemic approach or a systematic approach to make sure that we can answer and respond to this call. Um, so it's not just about politics. It's also about education. Um, it's also about being the best law-abiding citizens we can be, which means you have a right to a firearm and you have a right to defend yourself. Um, it means organizing. Mm. strategizing and thinking about what it means to not only resist, but also build at the same time. It gets tiring. And I was sharing this on my presentation. It gets tiring of just resisting, resisting, resisting. And it gets tired because you're often looking at yourself or your experience um, as a reaction to white domination, as opposed to looking at our own experience as a catalyst or a pathway toward black liberation. Mm. It's about the framing piece. If I'm so busy fighting you, when do I have time to build me and mine? 
Not saying that the two pieces are mutually exclusive. What I'm saying is that we need a both-and approach. We need to actively resist in all the ways possible and still remember that in order for us to resist, we have to have something to replace or aspire to transform into. Mm. And we have to make sure that we're not spending all of our efforts and collective energy fighting this power structure without trying to secure power for ourselves. Because we'll get caught up in that hamster wheel of trying to, again, this was a knock on the civil rights movement in some spaces, trying to convince people that we're equal as opposed to the black power movement where they said, we already know we're equal. Mm. We're telling you that we're going to liberate ourselves and we have the right to defend ourselves. We're not going to be the aggressor, although folks try to paint them out as such. And then all folks tried to break up that movement, COINTELPRO, et cetera, turn each other against each other, divide or conquer, et cetera, right? But moving from we're not telling you that we're equal, we're equal. We already know that. We know enough about ourselves. We love ourselves. We're going to build ourselves up. We're not asking for a handout. We're going to do for self. So I think right now we have to remember that, one, we are human beings, even though folks try to make us seem like we're animals who are not human beings, who are less than, who don't have a life worth living, whose life does not matter. We have to realize that we have everything we need and more within each other, Mm -hmm. within our culture, to build, to build, to build. So we have to dismantle and build at the same time. We have to disrupt and organize at the same time. Um, And I think if we have that approach and approach it that way, that's probably the best way we can start to really move the needle. Mm. Um, it's almost like playing football, right? And there's three parts of the game. You have the special teams, you have the defense, you have the offense. Um, they all need, you need to be firing on all cylinders in order for you to really win that game. Um, if, if the special teams is terrible, someone might need to pick up in the other spot, whether it's defense or offense, but we need to attack this thing from different directions, different angles, because that's how it was built. And we have to understand that the system was built not overnight, but over generations, over centuries. So this is going to be something that we're in for the long haul. You know, it's not for the faint of heart. It's not for the folks who get tired too quickly. So it's important for us to really unite because many hands make light work. Mm. Um, and if we all try to shoulder the burden by ourselves without organizing, seeing each other, letting them know that we're here for you, we got you, lean on me, I'll lean on you. Um, it's going to be a difficult journey ahead. But again, we all have to do our part. It all starts where we are. So each one, reach one, each one, teach one. Where you, wherever you are, your responsibility is to look out for you and yours. Um, your responsibility is to educate you and yours. Uh, be a change, be a difference in the spaces that you're in. Don't let certain things slide by, whether they're little comments that don't sit well with you. Um, vote with your feet, vote with your dollar. Um, Go to places that appreciate your aesthetic. Mm. Build with them. Support businesses that support you and your livelihood. Divest from other spaces that don't. So it's really about building and dismantling at the same time. Absolutely. And just to add on to that, I do think it has to do with organization and structure. But first, I'll have to take you know, guidance from Dr. Ashley Oliver right? Because she can elaborate on this point much better than I ever could. But because of the 
the uh, the white supremacy, the you know the social injustice and racism. There's a lot of psychological harm within our community, and as we know, and we discussed before, it's not uh, in our nature to discuss these things amongst ourselves. So I think that's par- probably part of the best practice is to come together and organize so we can figure it out. Like you said, help ourselves first from that fundamental level and then organize on a conglomerate wavelength, right? And really flex that, the the black dollar, right? Which is between, let's say, one, 1. 1.5 trillion in America and around 4 trillion worldwide. So there's a, there's a lot of talent, as we already know, right? As uh, entertainment industry reminds us on a secondly basis, in uh, in our society so we already know the talent is there we just need to create the establishments like you said that have been created over generations and we already see how they're created and how they're done so it's really just making our own versions and like you said in it for the long haul and then for the the third point i would say it has to do with the structure as well specifically with the you know the structure of the police right and Ice Cube had a wonderful post that speaks volumes, which says cops aren't supposed to kill guilty people either, right? So what they're doing is not even police work. So clearly the structure of what's going on in the police uh, precincts and academies and whatnot is not up to snuff. And we actually have uh, a comment here with someone telling on themselves, right? This letting you know what side of the fence that they're on. And the young lady named Daisy says, why would you walk around the front of the car and attempt to reach for something within your vehicle while police officers are yelling at you to stop moving? People aren't supposed to do that. I don't know about y'all, but if the police told me not to move, the last thing I would do is try to reach for something in my car. It would be nice if the black community would teach black men to listen to police officers, which is, is not only is highlighting your privilege, like you're telling on yourself, number one. Number two, you're also putting a a neon red flag about how let's say unaware you are about your ignorance and and again it's it's comical but unfortunately it's the reality and it's because of that perspective this is why we're in the situation that we're in yeah i have no eloquent advice for her my advice would be shut up (laughs) shut up like shut up please because it's 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 stupid for Mm. a number of different reasons um and we've we've seen cops far too many times um, serve as cop, right? Trial, jury, mm. they're the judge and the executioner. Sure. All in a split manner of seconds, right? And then the same narrative always comes out. The same narrative that folks have been preconditioned to believe because of all the prejudice and bias that they have within them, because of all the racism that they've been taught or that they have learned. So of course, they'll start to make suggestions such as, if only, if only, okay. But what about the examples of folk, pe- folks who are just literally sitting inside their home, their own home eating ice cream, both them Jean, right? Both them John. And they're just murdered for eating a bowl of ice cream. What about a person like Breonna Taylor who's just in her home sleep? So again, shut up mm-hmm. because you're just making a whole bunch of noise. You're making a whole bunch of noise and you look very ignorant. Right. And I think in some spaces, we don't even need to waste our time trying to argue with folks. 
We should be the equivalent of trolls in some spaces. Just respond and say, ignorant, next. Wrong, next. As opposed to like using all of our emotional energy to confront and combat that. Mm-hmm. Or just post a clip that shows, here's an example of what implicit bias means. Go read it. Take a look. Done. On to the next one. We need canned responses. In some spaces, folks have shared these canned responses. So you get an email that's racist on your job. You go to your canned responses and you send that. Because you don't have time for that emotional energy and effort to go towards these emails, to respond, to educate, nor should you have to. You should be living your life, being able to do your job and not have to worry about all this other stuff. Mm -hmm. So I think in some spaces, you know, whoever that is, shut up. (laughs) Keep it moving. Go to the next thing. Um, I don't have time to argue with you. In fact, it's a waste of my time. And I'm not here to educate you either. I'm building over here. And then we're going to disrupt systems. I'm not focused on this individual. You're just lost to me. Hopefully you come back around and maybe someone else can pick you up, but it's not going to be me. So, I mean, we have to be very important. Like we really have to think about the things that we do and how we do it. Absolutely. And just to round up this point, Claude is with a great question. At what point age range are these rules discussed and implemented within our community? Should it be the earlier, the better? So just to clarify, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming the rules we're talking about, how we talk to our own folks about these situations. Um, you know, a lot of folks always talk about the talk mm. um, and when you receive the talk. And unfortunately, you know, I've seen a number of different means that says your child can learn about racism at an early age if my child has to deal with it at an early age. Um, and there's a lot of times that, you know, I have this conversation all the time. Um, as an educator with with my faculty and staff about what's age appropriate. And my thing would be, listen to the kids. They'll tell you what they're seeing. They'll ask the questions. You have to develop a relationship with them that allows them to articulate and express what's going on in their lives, that allows them to articulate and express um, what feelings they're dealing with, what's sitting on their heart, Um, things that they really are seeking clarity on. You have to build that relationship offer an opportunity for those discussions to take place. And they will often dictate um, when to talk about these things. Mm -hmm. I had said earlier in one of my presentations, I'm not suggesting that as soon as the baby comes out the womb, you say, look, racism. (laughs) I'm not saying that at all. What I'm saying is let's be realistic about that time frame. Yes, sometimes folks want to protect other people's innocence. But I know for me, I'd rather teach my child responsibly as opposed to them learn some other stuff not be prepared to respond or learn it incorrectly. It reminds me of a quote that I've heard. I think it was John Hope Bryant who said, if you don't know who you are when you wake up, someone will tell you by that afternoon. So it's important for us to really teach our children. And it doesn't have to be as deep as let's unpack the layers of systemic racism. It doesn't have to be that. It could be, you know what? Because of this world that we live in, because we're flawed as human beings, because we have prejudices, et cetera. There are some structures and systems that are in place in society because of this. And understand that because of your identity, you might be perceived in certain spaces. My wife and I talk about it all the time and shout out to Andre Robert Lee. He talks about this all the time and I love his phrasing of it. Realize that sometimes in certain spaces, because of who you are, you're gonna have to work twice as hard and know that you are enough. You are more than enough. So you don't have to work twice as hard because you're lacking. You have to work twice as hard because of other people's ish and you have to respond and be prepared for that. Mm-hmm. So I think it's really having those real honest conversations. We have to, we have to. And the more and more we train up folks who are conscious of that, 
the more and more we can prepare them to respond to it, not get bogged down by it, or at least not get the first time it happens to them and they weren't prepared and had no framing or context for it. There was no scaffolding that took place. Um, so I think we have to listen to the young people and see what they're listening to. I mean, all these folks out here playing Fortnite and doing stuff on TikTok, they know what's going on. There's a lot of stuff they're exposed to. Um, so it's important for us to keep our finger on the pulse of how they're moving, the spaces they're in, what they're being exposed to, et cetera. Absolutely. Definitely reminds me of my upbringing, which has been, what was it, at least what, a thousand percent in private institutions. So I've always been the micro minority wherever mm -hmm. I've been ever since preschool type of thing. So for me, I was never really uh, aware of it in terms of how it impacted me. Always, it would be my parents, like at a younger age, right? My parents would be observing these things and then they would be handling, you know, that at that time. And then when I got older and was able to really see the chessboard, so I was just like, oh, this is where, you know, society puts a nice little uh, cage for people to get in. Like, oh, because again, as a, as an introvert, you can really see how people are micromanaged on a different level. And you really get to see the cosmic chessboard of not only conformity, but also people who want to conform to be a part of that, uh, let's say hive consciousness that uh, is a part of nationalism. So we see the quote every time when people, when people, uh, let's say, protest against racism, Racism is so American that they think you're anti-American for protesting against racism. So I think that that definitely says a lot. And then moving on to our next topic of the NBA and the playoffs are going on. And, you know, my it is of my belief that it's still a distraction. Like even though there's more public awareness because of it, they're using their platform and we'll uh, we'll roll some clips to uh, show uh, share with others what NBA players and stars have said regarding, you know, Jacob Blake and whatnot and how they feel perhaps playoffs may not be appropriate at this time. So I'm just going to roll a couple of these clips. Quite frankly, it's just fucked up. We're scared as black people in America, black men. You don't know. You have no idea. You have no idea. On the wrong side of the bed. You don't know if you had an argument at home. House steaming. Or maybe you just left the house in that today is going to be the end for one. That's what it feels like. Um, it just, it hurts, it hurts. And it's this through the grace. And then we have one from CP3, post game. This is tied now. What did you find at the end of this game that helped you guys pull away? Uh, I don't know, that's all good and well. Um, I just wanna send my prayers out to Jacob Blake and their family, you know, the things that you know, we decided to come down here to play for, and we said we're going to speak on the social injustice and the things that continue to happen. It's not right. It's not right. So the win is good, you know, but voting is real. 
gonna challenge all my NBA guys, other sports guys. Let's try to get our entire teams registered to vote. You know what I mean? It's a lot of stuff going on in the country. Sports is cool, it's good and well. It's how we take our families, but those are the real issues that we, we got to start addressing. And I think uh, this next video is very interesting, which is from Chris Middleton, who plays for the Milwaukee Bucks, which is in Wisconsin. I think this is why, you know, we have so many people outraged over the country. Um, you know, the man was shot seven times at point break range in the back. I mean, um, it doesn't get, you know, any sicker than that. I mean, I think people are starting to see why, you know, black people, um, colored people are, are so, you know, afraid of police because at any time, no matter what type of position, no matter what they did, right or wrong, um, their first act is to shoot us. I mean, I think that's a very, very scary situation um, to be in when they're supposed to protect us. Absolutely. I mean, literally, damned if you do damned if you don't and i feel like we discussed uh discussed this before the season resumed uh, in orlando that coming back could potentially be a could be a distraction and you have you know some people not all obviously but a lot of people who are let's say uh voting for trump in november who were essentially saying shut up and dribble to the athletes mm. Mm. i appreciate these brothers for speaking out I appreciate them for using their platform. I appreciate for all the things that they're saying and that they're staying true to the fact that they said they were going to lift up uh, social justice things and also speak out against injustice. So I, I appreciate them for using their platform. Um, again, James Baldwin, his quote, you know, uh, to be a Negro and relatively conscious in America is to be in a constant state of rage. Mm. People are furious. I shared this in presentations too. I said, listen, are we ready to receive all of our students the way that they are going to show up? Some folks might show up angry. Some folks might show up sick and tired of being sick and tired. Shout out to Fannie Lou Hamer, mm -hmm. right? Folks might be tired of the nonsense and they're done. And I tried to help people understand that sometimes, even if you're a well-intentioned, good person, so to speak, because of your identity, you might be both a trigger and a trauma for someone inside the classroom. We keep seeing these things. And, you know, I've said this before in other spaces and I shared in my presentation too. This summer I called it my black sabbatical. I had, I need to take a break. As you know, Josh, you know, I've been in these predominantly white institutions in these spaces since the age of 14 when we started out at Petty. Mm -hmm. And, you know, coming from Harlem, pre justified Harlem, where my aesthetic was appreciated, celebrated, the norm, the majority, um, where my culture was valued and uplifted, where my voice wasn't marginalized, where my aesthetic wasn't marginalized, where we all understood where we were coming from was doing that same grind. To go from there to a completely different place where I'm undervalued, underserved, overlooked, and othered. Mm. In these spaces, I had to unplug. The easiest way for me to descend to whiteness was to descend to the whiteness of the spaces that I've been associated with. And this is not an indictment on these institutions. It's an indictment on how far we've come as a country in the wrong direction. Mm. 
Um, when you think about what we need to be doing, when you think about the fact of the matter being that we talk about safe spaces often and whether or not school is safe for people to return. Safety is relative. Some folks have more risk than others. That's what privilege is. Some folks have more choices and options that can give them better opportunities than others. So when we talk about safety, we can't really sec secure safety for everyone. Some folks risk their lives on a daily basis. And this was pre-corona. Just walking outside their house. They didn't even need a mask. Mm. Now you have folks who have to walk outside the house. And the one thing that saved them, their disarming smile, is now covered up by a mask. Mm. There's so many things that we need to talk about and wrestle with and really say, you know what? Dang, I get it now. Because for the first time, I think a lot of people of privilege are now understanding that, wow, this is what it feels like to be unsafe and uncertain about my future. This is what it feels like to have to worry about what I'm putting on before I leave the house. What I'm doing in a grocery store, how long I'm there, how do I maneuver, how far do I stand back from someone? These are things that we knew because we had the talk or we had experiences or we had that wake up call that made us understand how people looked at us and viewed us in this United States of America, so to speak, right? So I think that there are going to be a lot of distractions. There's always distractions, always distractions. But again, it comes back to money, mm. particularly in a capitalistic society. A lot of folks get upset when their livelihoods start to become threatened. A lot of folks get upset when they start to feel it because sometimes you can't really move a person's heart. Sometimes you can't even move their mind. Sometimes you got to move their bank account. Take some money out of their bank account so their life isn't as cushy as they're accustomed to it being. There's a lot of things that need to change. And again, when you have folks particularly, and we think about the NBA, they're predominantly black men. Right. Black men. So if there's not a group to speak out against it, I mean, I mean, I think that's the group that should be talking about it. Right. That's the group that should be like, you know what? We're, you know what? I know it's the playoffs, and I know folks want to be crowned a champion. We're done. We're done. In fact, they're in a better leveraging moment right now than they were before they actually came back and entered the bubble. Because there's a lot on the line now. Folks are invested. They're watching the playoffs. They all just walked away and said, we're done. We're not playing. Nobody wins until X, Y, and Z happens. I'd love to see that. But again, these are the things that we have to think about. This work is really about what are we willing to lose? What are we willing to sacrifice? And that's a constant conversation that we always have to have with ourselves. And I think white folks, particularly those who want to be allies or accomplices or co-conspirators, Right. They have to sacrifice something. They have to be willing to lose something. And usually that's power and privilege. Mm. Or they can use their power and privilege to help us gain something. So you don't necessarily have to lose it. You can use it, but for good. Right. So there's just so much, so much that needs to be done. So many things that need to be considered when we're talking about how do we get out of this situation. But again, some folks think we're not in a, a bad situation. You know, the more and more I talk to people, sometimes I'm just like, yo, this, I done read some books. This stuff has been happening years ago. It's been happening generations ago. 
Nothing's different. I played a song today. I played Marvin Gaye's What's Going On to open my presentations today. And that song was released in 1971. Mm-hmm. And it's 2020. And everything that Marvin Gaye was talking about is happening right now. Brother, What's brother. What's going on? Mm. How are we going to change? It's 2020. If we don't start to change now, when folks are really feeling some of the pain we've been feeling for all this time, well, dang, man, I don't know. I don't know. We might have to start actually building a Wakanda. <laughs> that was been my thesis all along, Professor. I know. I know, brother. I think we might actually have to start digging tunnels or something because they might not <laughs> let us leave. Right? And it's it's the unfortunate reality because it's part of the socioeconomic system to have sports and entertainment. And that's also one of the ways that our community actually get people of who have an accumulate generational wealth is via entertainment. However, like you said, now is the best leveraging point and there is no more powerful player union and all the professional sports around the world than the NBA player association. Right. And I was thinking about Donovan Mitchell's tweet immediately after this happened. And let me get that up for everyone. And and it kind of speaks to your point. He said, F the games and F the playoffs, right? This is sick and is a real problem. We demand justice. It's crazy. I don't have any words, but what the F, man, right? This is why we don't feel safe. And it's just like, what what do you expect them to to feel like you said predominantly black you could probably make the same argument about the nfl as well it's probably more a little bit more diverse but still i would say the majority of players even in the nfl are also black as well so that's why i'm like i I never understood that especially growing up as an athlete and we talked about this before it's kind of like if you're playing against another team and then the people who are your fans, right, in the stands be like, oh, F that N-word, right? Mm-hmm. And, and and everyone's like, what about the people on your, your own team, right, that you're rooting for? Oh, not them, them. That, but that's not how that works. You don't, you don't get to pick and choose and be like, oh, these people are bad, but those aren't, right? Because mm-hmm. that's, we're that's all... That's a good N-word. That's a good N-word. Yeah. Right, exactly. And it's just, again, it's it's... The new normal and unfortunately this is the part of the system that must be dismantled because this can no longer be normal because again i can't wait till we have dr ashley oliver back on again because this level of normality is having a detrimental effect on our psyche at a generational level it's going to be hereditary soon to be having symptoms of white supremacy Absolutely. And I just want to, you know, listen to everything that you said and just thinking about this, this spring, summer, let's call it sprummer Mm -hmm. because, you know, it started for me like March 13th, if I'm not mistaken, Uh, Friday the 13th, I think I was March 13th where it was like, okay, we shutting things down. School's going to be different, blah, 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 blah. And it reminds me of Dave Chappelle's special, um, 846. Mm. And he said, this is the last chance for civil discourse. Mm. This is the final opportunity. Because he said, after that, it's rat-a-tat-tat-tat-tat-tat-tat. And I don't think he's lying. 
this is the last chance for civil discourse. We've been civil for a long time. And there are a lot of folks out there who are tired of being civil the way that folks want us to be civil, civil rights, etc. There's a lot of folks who've been preparing to be the new age Black Panthers. Right. With less, less, less concern about acting in self-defense. Um, if 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 the situation had to be that way. Again, I think that the history shows that we as black folks are a peaceful, loving people. The record shows that. And I know a lot of white folks, their constant nightmare is that if we should ever come to power mm. as black people, we will do to them what they have done and continue to do to us. But we are not those type of people. However, again, as Chappelle said, this is the final opportunity, last chance for civil discourse. I hope folks take heed to that advice. Last call. We, we Last call for sure. We do not need civil discourse turning quickly into a civil war. We do not need that. We don't. We do not. But again, what do you expect people to do when all they do is try to follow the rules that were not even designed to protect them or benefit them? Yet and still, they're gunned down, killed, silenced, oppressed, marginalized, not given life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. What else is there to do? I ask white folks or those folks who are of privilege in particular, what would you do if you were in our situation? Would you want to talk it out mm. and hope to change your mind for 400 plus years? What would you do? And we can study the history. We see what you would do. We know what you would do. Imperialism, colonialism, colonization is real. Folks still need to decolonize their mind, decolonize the curriculum, decolonize Hollywood, media, all mm -hmm. these things, right? Um, so... I hope we are in a space where we can start to see each other as human beings and understand that reparations are due in the sense of that root word, repair. There needs to be a repair. Um, the social contract has been voided, um, at least in terms of what it was promised to us. Right. And there's so many things that are owed and there's a lot of conversations that need to be had but folks are tired of talking and, 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 and I know why I understand why. And I, I pray, I pray that we can figure this thing out peacefully. Absolutely. And if we're just thinking about American history, right? I mean, what happened when they had a, a bit of a, a tea tax in Boston? What, what, what happened? Right. Let alone people being, you know, murdered on video with witnesses, some of them being children, Ken, community, right? And then I've been researching a little bit more about firearms recently and what type of damage which firearms can do, and especially from the police perspective, right? Because as we know, they shouldn't be using the firearms anyway since there's no weapons involved, number one. But most of these deaths 
excuse me, most of these murders, these atrocities are more than one shot. When all you need, really all you needed was one to at least alleviate people resisting, you, you would think, but it's been multiple shots. Some of which have been towards people's back, like Jacob Blake. So I, I again, I don't know how least, how, I mean, that's such a least threatening position that anyone could ever take. And universally, for I would say the entirety of humanity, attacking someone with lethal force with their back turned is one of the most cowardice actions that any human being can do. So again, I don't understand how these people are sworn in to protect and serve. Absolutely. And not only is it cowardly, it also just demonstrates a lack of concern mm. and care for a human life. And you want these people to protect and serve. Again, you'll have that person who says, oh, it's just a few bad apples. Blue lives matter. And all these things. Miss me with it. I'm talking about human lives. And we understand that everybody in the police force is not representative of what happened in Kenosha. We understand that. That was never on the table for discussion. Y'all added that to the conversation. What we're saying is these situations that are unjust, no matter which way you slice it or dice it, it's bad and it needs to change. And folks are like, but what, what did he do? Or, oh, I heard he used to tie his shoe with two bunny ears when he was five. And then he switched to using one bunny ear. The nonsense they try to dig up and just defame and further devalue and dehumanize someone drives me insane. Because if we actually looked at, I'm sure, if we went to that clip that you showed of that white guy losing his mind and exerting his white privilege, mm -hmm. I'm sure if we dug into that man's background, <laughs> not his first rodeo. I'm sure he's got a lot, a lot for us to unpack and talk about. That's right. So again, you know, you see the video, you hear the story. You shouldn't even have to see the video. You should understand what people are saying to you. But if you don't care about a person because you don't even think they're a person to begin with. Right. We're kind of at a, a, a impasse to the point where it's like, eh, I don't know what else we can do. So I hope folks wake up. I hope more people of power and privilege start to fight for justice, mm -hmm. start to help move the needle, start to hop on the bandwagon for change and transformation. Um, and it needs to be a radical transformation. Right. Um, I, 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 I entitled one of my presentations today, Equity, Justice, and Engagement, a call for radical love and transformation. Right. We need radical love. Dr. King always talked about it, right? Um, hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. That's right. Right? Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Amen. How do we use light and love to make things change? It's just that, you know, sometimes we have to understand and realize that love don't live here no more. So what does that mean for us? Do we seek love elsewhere? Do we just worry about ourselves and love ourselves, build for ourselves? Because if you think about it, the folks are going to really be hurting in a lot of different ways. If we organize and strategize and move forward accordingly, hit them where it hurts. Mm. 
and as so, yeah, and as Dino was saying, retrain the police, reorganize the police, demilitarize the police, which I always thought was the most interesting aspect about all these protests and the police brutality, especially in 2020 specifically, because previously so many politicians and representatives all over America were really pushing for militarizing the police. And then we see instances where we had, let's say, rogue protesters who were essentially starting riots for you know police to have to use these militarized methods. Right. So it's kind of like giving them what they've always wanted in a plausible way. Like it's plausible deniability. Oh, we told you we needed this. Right. But if you didn't have the systematic racism before, would it be necessary now? So I feel like they always knew it was going to happen. They just had to double down on it preemptively. Personally, that's that's is my perspective. I hear you. And I think there's there's a lot of a lot of things that we need to think about and talk about, particularly when we talk about policing. I think the the points that Dean raised are absolutely 100%. I think that we need to talk about those things and we need to actually do it. Um, because there are some people who take that job and they take that job seriously. And we appreciate um, them for doing that. Exactly. Exactly. We thank you for literally putting your life on the line for hours. There are other folks mm-hmm. who take off their clan's robe mm. and put on their police uniform. Right. And they're like, all right. Instead of burning the cross, I'm going to go shoot somebody. So we need to talk about this. We need to talk about where hate lives. There's folks at the job who might not like you. There are folks at the grocery store who might not like you. There are folks in your community who might not like you. In fact, some of them might hate you. So it's not just about, you know, a few bad apples. It's also about an institution that allows this to continue to happen. The apple tree, yes. Yes, the apple tree. Thanks for putting it that way. Yes, the apple tree. And a lot of these apples don't fall far from the tree Mm. at all, at all. We see the fruit that it's bearing. And it's not only bad fruit, it's strange fruit. Word (laughs) to Billie Holiday. So it's like, come on. Come on. Uh, Like, how many other documentaries you need to watch? Right. How many podcasts you need to download? You don't get it yet? It's crazy. It is crazy. And that'll that'll wrap it up, guys, for this this short show. We appreciate you tuning in. And if anyone has any questions before we sign off, please let us know. But thank you, Professor Yisrael, for sharing your presentation. And uh, we definitely hope to get Dr. Ashley Oliver back on here for some more, you know, mindfulness exercises and ways to combat you know combat this unfortunate situation that we all live in and and simply unpack that no of course and i appreciate you brother i appreciate all the things you bring to this space and the things that you keep us aware of and informed of so always a pleasure to be in conversation with you yes sir my pleasure and it's a it's a it's a great it's a great struggle i would say because it, it is a struggle every day to, you know, have to face these things, face these realities, face these injustices. And again, because the brain is a immaculate, you know, vessel, your brain can get used to whatever is put in front of it. And I, I just, I, I, it really annoys me that our people have to get used to this, 
like actually mentally get used to this like oh this is just gonna be a part of our lives forever type of thing that i that doesn't that never sat right well with me at all absolutely and to quote j cole um there's beauty in the struggle Mm -hmm. um but i know that there's also beauty on the other side of that struggle too and i'm hoping that we can get to that absolutely and thank you mrs jizzy for the compliment and all right guys we'll leave it there and we'll see you next week please enjoy your week keep your head up now i mean call on the almighty if you need to as always and we appreciate your love and support and god bless you repeat what they created and get power to hate but worst of all we disappoint all the greats black lives matter black lives matter